So hello, welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Today again, I'm hosting. This is Alan Wyma. And on the panel, we also have Adi Angar. Hello. And today we have a really interesting episode with uh, Hayden Evans. Hayden, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. And Hayden, man, I don't even know where to start, right? So it's actually kind of interesting because I've kind of followed your kind of where you are today from the beginning, right? So real quick, you're a recruiter. You have your own recruitment firm that you're running yeah. uh, called Beamit. And like I said, I've, I followed you. I think I remember one day, I think you you somehow you stopped working in, in another company. And I remember you made a post or something somewhere. And then you're like, all right, I'm just going to go in and do my own thing and run my own stuff, right? That was kind of what happened. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we. I mean, we spoke about positions, I think, a long time ago. Uh, when I was looking for our chat was like, I don't know how long ago, some time ago. But yeah, no, I um, started this business, Beam It, in 2020, just before um, all the kind of pandemic craziness kicked off. But I've been in the market just recruiting for Beam almost exclusively since 2014. So we're coming up to the 10th year now, um, just in this market. So I think I'm probably just about at the point where I can uh, call myself an expert, but that's what LinkedIn says anyway, so... <laughs> It's quite an interesting thing, right? Because the beam recruitment, I mean, that is very specialized. I mean, you, you must command a very high premium for your services because you have to sort through and find this besides the best of the best, but actual people working on the beam, working with the beam, sorry, not working on the beam, working with the beam, right? Like, is that difficult or you're just so plugged in now that it's easy for you to find uh, the people that you need to find? So yes and no, really. I think one of our biggest kind of USPs would probably be our network. Certainly as a team, there's three of us working for Beamit, but certainly myself, like I said, we've been building that network up now and kind of meeting people and getting to know people. And quite a few people come to us once they've kind of been at a job and if they've sadly been let go or if they're at their time when they need to move on, they'll come back to us. So I've got, there's some people that I've placed like three times before across that time where they've worked somewhere for a couple of years and then they've come to us and say, oh, I'm ready for a move or I want to relocate or I'm looking to do something a bit different. So really you kind of get that network, but probably more the um, the market knowledge is probably the main thing. Uh, when someone mentions a company and they say, oh yeah, I've been working at this company, like, oh, you work with that person or you've done this or you've been working on this. And straight away, I'll already know which companies could be a good fit for them based on what they're looking for, of course. But if someone comes to you and said, oh yeah, well, I've been working at this company, you're already in your head processing which company they could work for next and fixing whether that company would find someone like that interesting and things like that you probably would struggle to have that in a larger market and I've got friends in the recruitment world and they, they've always said to me oh why don't you do something like JavaScript um, or perhaps Java or something which is much more mainstream and widely used but I think it, in this case probably less is more because you can become an expert in this market um, if you every single company in the world probably that has a website is using JavaScript at some point. So to become an expert and to know almost every company that's using it and to know the community and to know what's going on and to get known in that community is much more difficult. So in this case, it's there's probably like a specialist agencies, there's like maybe two or three that are doing just exclusively Beam and then a few more that are recruiting for it as well. So it's much easier to kind of build up your base and, and get to know companies and get yourself known than something which is a, a lot wider. Yeah, I don't know. on the show, Adi is kind of our our recruiter. He's always blessing people's names in certain companies about, you know, who's hiring and who's looking. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, quite a tricky market to get into. I can understand both sides where it's like, well, if you're plugged into that market, you know that market, you should have a good amount of business coming in. 
you know, to a certain extent, right? If you go to a large market like JavaScript, whatever, there's just too many people who are just kind of getting in because so many people are doing it. Like you said, so many people, so many candidates can do it. It's kind of like the more there is kind of like the more difficult your job could be rather than finding like the right developer for the right role, right? Yeah, definitely. When I first started working with this, I think from a candidate perspective, they they were more responsive to us because because there's so many and it's so saturated in terms of recruiters in those markets that they're just getting completely barraged with with messages and with new jobs and people just reaching out to them non-stop and when someone reaches out with something that they are genuinely passionate about and they're like oh wow this is something a bit different like you're, you're actually specializing in what I like rather than just what I do for a job you know and I found that Elixir and the same with with Erlang is that the candidates certainly were more more kind of invested in the language and they they were more likely to go along to meetups and listen to podcasts like your own and contribute to open source projects than those which were in the more mainstream markets. Not everyone, not everyone does it, but certainly if you had to have a percentage, I would say it'd be a lot higher in a niche market like Elixir, Erlang, or certainly more kind of recent ones that you're seeing starting to emerge. Things like Gleam as well, certainly Rust. I think people are um, people are much more engaged, especially if someone comes to them and says, oh, look, I'm, I'm working exclusively with Elixir. I've got these jobs for you. Can we run through it? as opposed to JavaScript jobs, perhaps, which there's, like I said, there's just so many that they probably were getting 20, 25 in their, in their inbox a day. Nothing against JavaScript. Obviously, it's, it's got its uses and it's, it's, it's brilliant for a lot of people. But just, just in the case of me trying to build up a business and build up a desk in terms of recruitment, I'm someone that would benefit more from that perhaps more tailored approach, um, more personalized approach, reaching out to less people, but with the right message. And I found that some of my colleagues that worked in that those more mainstream markets was a bit more of a scattergun, pick up the phone and just call as many people as you can and send out as many messages as you can. And yeah, it's never really, I've done cold calling. I'm not really a fan of it, to be honest. But you, you find that you get a good response from these niche markets if you've, if you've got a good, not product, so to speak, but certainly a good good offering. I'm kind of curious, though, about the market at the moment, at least according to you, right? Is it more of a employer's market where the employer has a lot of choices? Or is it the employee's market where there's not many choices and then they're more likely to to find a position that's suitable for them? So I'd say we're in transition. There certainly was a stage when candidates could come to me, certainly, and say, I'm looking for something, let's say, something which is mission-driven. I only want to consider jobs which kind of really something which I'm passionate about, like whether it be climate change or specific values from a political or aggressive standpoint, something like that. They'd say that's that's just what I want. But I don't really hear that as much now because I'm finding that the market is perhaps becoming a bit more client driven rather than candidate driven. That's probably just a way of the probably just a kind of result of the way the tech can tech market's going at the moment anyway of course you've seen some of the biggest companies i know um twitter and meta and similar companies kind of laid off quite a lot of people certainly in the last year or so and i think that's kind of trickling down across the the smaller companies as well and i think that that's probably seeing more candidates on the market and perhaps having an impact on the uh, on the overall market as well but it's definitely not at a point where it's kind of dead i think that things are picking up again and it's certainly the last perhaps four to six months was much better than the previous four to six months. Okay, yeah, that's it's good to hear. So you can't be too choosy, but you still have some choices, it sounds like, for, for kind of both sides. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I think 
initially when everyone went to remote, when it was kind of enforced that you were going to have to work remotely just to keep your kind of business going um, during the pandemic, it opened up a lot of opportunities for a lot of people. And you saw that the companies that really started to have success, certainly in the, uh, the, in the beam market that I know of, like AnyDesk, who run the remote working software, they were started to become much more popular. And then Remote.com, who, which has all been built in Elixir, of course, that they started to really kind of have like huge growth because they were offering this product which allowed companies to hire people remotely anywhere in the world without having to deal with the, the kind of tax and, and legal side in too much depth. And yeah, companies like that really start, started to uh, start to see more success, which I suppose was inevitable. But I think as the things have started to calm down, some companies are starting to invite people back to the office. And it's perhaps making the appeal a bit bit smaller. Um, they're not using remote as much as perhaps they were. And we're seeing a few more companies that are asking for hybrid as opposed to remote. Which which is fine. I mean, we we have, we big advocates of remote work. But I'm here sitting in my office now, so I think it's it's always good to have a mix, depending on your situation, of course. I think it's still as Elixir developers, we are or people in the Beam ecosystem are lucky because the, the pool is not large enough for companies to just like completely go to hybrid or uh, on site. I think a lot of Elixir companies uh, that at least I was I'm in connection with are still to, for the most extent remote, which is which is great. And I don't think there's any plans of switching now that we're used to all this remote work. It's going to be almost impossible to go back. So I think we're definitely lucky in in a way <laughs> in Elixir in the Elixir ecosystem. Okay. I mean, that's good to hear too. We were kind of talking or rapping before the show and uh, talking about, you know, if I do want to find a job, like let's say I don't want to work in what I'm doing right now. It's non-beam related. I want to get into the beam. What's kind of the minimum I want to, 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 to do to get there, right? Do I need to establish a GitHub profile? Do I have to start delivering coffee every morning to Jose Balim and build up that relationship? You know, what, what do I need to do in order to kind of to, to get out there and to make a good impression and get, let people feel good about, you know, at least looking at my CV? So this is a really good question. It's one of the most kind of frequent... the coffee one, right? That's the most interesting part. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be against you bringing him coffee, but I don't know how well it would, uh, it would help the career. But in, in, in terms of, yeah, it's one of the most frequently asked questions that we, we get a lot. And it's a tricky one to answer from... Um, as we, like I said, we were talking before the show. It's a quick, quick one to um, tricky one to answer, because as myself, I'm someone that spends every single day speaking with Elixir engineers, speaking with companies, going through job applications. I've interviewed people. I've helped people write their CVs. So, from my perspective, a CV is something that's quite standard. But sometimes we forget that a CV is not something that that someone makes more than, well, in some cases, maybe four or five times in their life have spent quite a lot of time recruiting for Erlang as well as Elixir in the beam market. Overall, there's still quite a lot of companies that are using just Erlang rather than rather than Elixir in production. And a lot of the Erlang developers that I've spoken to have almost only worked for Ericsson, for example. So for, for anyone, most people listening will know, but if anyone doesn't know, Erlang was kind of created at Ericsson. That's where they built it, like, I think it was 19, and there's some people that have worked there almost since then. They've come to me and said, look, I'm, I'm looking for a new job. I'm wondering if you can help. And while this is almost a genius in the market, this is someone that knows almost everything about Erlang and could probably talk you all the way through Beam and the, the deeper depths of Beam. This is someone that's probably not had many interviews in, in their life. And when they come to us and say, well, I'm, I'm looking for a new job, but 
I've, I haven't written a CV. I've just got my experience from Ericsson. I've got to put this together. How can you help? I think sometimes we forget that, that while something that seems very normal for me, because I'm dealing with them and look at them on a daily basis, that people haven't always written those, um, written those more than certainly more than four or five times. Um, and if they have, it might just be adding to it their latest experience and perhaps not updating the deeper details, which is a tangent I've gone off on here to talk about something completely different. But um, in the sense of your CV, if, you, if you're looking at your resume, should I say, for, for a wider audience, you really want to try and ensure that you can highlight everything you can that's relevant. So it's very easy to talk about things you've done and talk about your background and talk about your interests. But remember that this person that's reading the CV doesn't know you and they are looking for your interest in Elixir in this case. So obviously, if you've got technical experience, fantastic. Put that on there, of course. But it's best just to include anything you can that's related to Elixir because in a lot of cases, the person that's looking at your CV at the other end, so this recruiter, you you only get a very minimal opportunity to make a first impression. And if they look at your CV and they can't see anything Elixir related and they're recruiting for an Elixir role, they may disregard it quickly. And whether that's good practice or not is a completely different discussion to have. But in the case of a lot of people, they're not Elixir recruiters. They don't know who can quickly transition to be to work full-time in Elixir from another language. They often don't know the related technologies. So if they've got one CV, which is, you have to, excuse me, just keep saying CV, if they've got one resume, which is, um, I'm so English. If uh, if they've got one um, resume, which is a very similar skill set to another, perhaps, I don't know, let's say five years of experience with Ruby on Rails, as well as um, some related technologies as well. And then one has listed on there, oh, I attended Codebeam in Stockholm, it was brilliant. I saw these talks. Um, I got to meet Jose. I, I did this. I did that. I've also got a link here to my GitHub where I contributed to this project. I also listened to this podcast. I honestly wouldn't wouldn't even go. I wouldn't even say it's too far to list the podcasts that you listen to and the books you've read. Even if you add it at the, the bottom of your CV, if you wanted to, you could put yeah, recently read books. If if you've read Elixir in Action, which is everyone would recommend is a great starting point if you read Addy's book of course you could put that on there you could list anything on there and I, I don't think it's overkill I think stuff like that would be much more significant for your CV search than if you put on there oh I, I don't know I, I waited tables when I was 18 which we see quite a lot of people that are still listing the non-tech related experience which is of course experience I and mean, it shows for good character and things like that but Remember, you only get that very, very brief time period to um, to impress that person or to catch that person's interest. And in some cases, they're going to be looking at an absolute ton of CVs. Um, so it could be that we had some junior roles that when I, when I was working as a, on a consultancy project to get through, we... Um, we acted as almost like an internal recruiter to screen the CVs and take some of the work away from the engineering team who were just getting kind of bogged down by all these CVs that were coming through. And we kind of went through them and some some days we would have kind of 200 to go through for the junior roles. And it, it's very, very hard to say to someone, oh, you haven't listed your experience if they haven't got experience. But when you've got that many to choose from, you can't speak to all of them. So you've got to pick the ones who are shown the most willing. And like I said, it's very, very difficult to book in. The kind of, I mean, remember that these, even an intro call probably takes 45 minutes. You've got to write up the notes. You've also got to send the applicants, send the invites. You've got to go through the feedback with the team. It's probably at least an hour and a half of work for each interview. And most of us work 
kind of eight hour days take away lunch break. So when you've got to choose just a few to book in, you've got to choose the ones that have shown you the most that they can be relevant for the role and that are going to be committed to it. I hope that answers your question in a way. I know I know I've gone off on a complete tangent, but um, hopefully it gives you some insight into kind of what, what you see from the other side. Yeah, that's interesting to even put like, oh, I went to this conference, right? That, that, that could be interesting for them. But I guess at least it shows the initiative that, okay, if you didn't get as far as creating a, you know, working in Elixir Erlang, but you went forward and actually went to these conferences, went to the meetups, read the books, that's showing like initiative, right? And that's what people are really looking for in case you don't have that actual production background, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, it, it comes back a bit to the, to the time thing. In a lot of cases, internal recruits won't be working just one role. They might even be working. I mean, I've, I've stepped into roles where I'm working like kind of up to 10 at one time, but I've worked with people that are working even more. Some of them will just be easier roles to fill, but others, like that, that's stretching out your time. And like I said, you only get so much time in a day and you're going to have to try and speak to the people that are showing the most willing. And I'm not saying put up your dissertation into your, into your CV or anything like that, but just a short list and anything that you can add, I think will work in your favor. Yeah, I guess like one thing I'm very curious about, something that I like recommend my uh, people I mentor when, who are looking for jobs is, uh, again, like refining resume, things you've talked about. But I also say like kind of map your resume to the job description. If there are points in job description that you feel like you have Otherwise, you have, uh, you know, experience or, you know, knowledge about that you haven't put in the resume. Kind of it like forces you to like really, do I satisfy what the job description says are the requirements? Because I think a lot of recruiters might have keywords and stuff that they're looking for too, right? Like you mentioned, like if they're like scanning multiple resumes, it might like increase the likelihood. Like, is that like, I, I just made that up i don't really know but i something i recommend my mentees uh, is, is that something that would help or is that like you know kind of like diminishing returns at that point yeah i think to an extent i think if there's something you've done which is um which is helpful then i certainly would add it in and try to tailor it i do have some candidates come to me and will say look we've got these four elixir roles with four different companies and they will give me different cvs for each one different resumes for each one I think it's a good idea if you if you have done something specific, but I think just if you have relevant experience, try to include as much as possible anyway. But yeah, but I can understand understand tailoring it if there's something you want to add in. I don't think it hurts to um to kind of personalize it to one company and try and ensure that it's definitely relevant because like you say, if you're applying for let's say an AI AI job and you've worked on an AI project, then it's more important to include that than it would be for an, another company that hasn't necessarily got a relation to that. But yeah, I think in anything, especially if you're at a kind of junior level, I think anything technical it would be worth um, including to, to some extent. But like I say, not 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 to the point where you've got like a ten page resume, but but wherever possible, just try to keep try to keep it relevant. I do think less is more though. I think I'm kind of related to relate to what what you said your your question. If you are just sending out applications and if you do just because we'll get some candidates who will just apply to any job and they'll come to us and say oh you're working on this job and quite often our jobs are anonymous on the website they they generally are so they'll come to us and say oh yeah no you've got this job up and I'll say oh yes with this company Um, let's just say Google for the sake of it and they'll say okay cool run for it all and then you'll send off their application and it will come back straight away that that, let's say Greenhouse will tell you automatically if uh, someone's applied before and then I'll contact the internal recruiters there and say, oh, has this person applied before? Said, yeah, they applied two weeks ago. So in that case, probably less is more in that sense. And if you are personalized, you probably are thinking about the job a bit more rather than this scattergun approach. I know 
obviously times can get a bit desperate and you do want to just send out as many applications as possible. But certainly at the start of your search, I would try to keep it relevant, keep it that you know each company you're applying to because there's been scenarios before where we've submitted someone who's been the third time they're submitted and it's like that doesn't look too good on us or the candidate from that from that point so probably is always best to, to have a look at each application in detail and make sure that you're fully aware of who they are and what they do um before you apply and certainly before you apply again it is it is hard though right like i think with the i mean I mean, it's been a while, but like the boom of, you know, so many online, you know, job application tools, it just gives an illusion to specifically the company that, that of, of choice, right? But on the other side too, like the, the cream of the, how you define cream, the cream of the applicants also have a ridiculous amount of choice, but it gives an illusion to a company that otherwise would not feel like they can hire those people because those people apply as a plan D <laughs> to this company, right? They, they feel like they could hire them and they uh, they reject them. They may may reject candidates who they otherwise might not. I don't know. Is it just, some, I, I feel like it does happen. Uh, I've, I have worked with people who I thought were overqualified for certain positions and they got rejected and the job position was still open a month or two after their interview. Uh, I, I don't know. Does that happen happen too often with you? Yeah. Yeah. This, this is quite a common conversation in the, um, I, I think you're in the Elixir Slack channel and you you'll see that they're, they're constantly they're talking about this and how roles do stay open for quite a long time despite people in there saying that they've applied us reaching out saying we can help and there, there, there could be a number of reasons for this I think one one reason could often be that could be that they've not found a right person in terms of a cultural fit maybe they've found a tech fit but not a cultural fit but also it could be a case of it could also be a case of them perhaps keeping the job open to try and attract later I'll get around for another round of hiring. And I think that happens quite a lot in a lot of cases. I think a lot of companies won't like to admit it, but they will leave a job open, perhaps thinking, well, you need someone in six months, perhaps if that person comes up a bit longer. I mean, it's certainly more common in Europe because in the US, you seem to have two week max notice periods. But in Europe, quite often they have three month notice periods. So by the time you've completed an interview process, and then done notice period, you're probably looking at four months in a lot of cases. So they're kind of forward thinking. So the job may not be open right now, but they're perhaps trying to, so they might have hired the person, but they're trying to think about the next one, thinking, well, maybe we can attract someone a bit sooner, save ourselves a bit of money on, on an agency or or something similar, or contractors later at a time. But, but certainly I think um, it, it's just really a case of each company has their, has their uh, different things going on. I think cultural fit is a bigger thing than a lot of people realize. We do come across some companies that just look for the tech and they're not too worried about the cultural fit. And they may just say, oh, yeah, well, this person's got this experience. He's a nice guy. That's fine. But a lot of companies are much more worried about the soft skills and the kind of personality and the attitude and whether it could disrupt their team. Like if you've got a team full of kind of introverts that are quite quiet and then you interview someone who's brilliant, but they're very loud and they talk about in their interview about how they're quite bossy and that kind of thing, then perhaps that might scare the company a little bit. Perhaps just an honest truth to say, I don't think it's uh, it's not a good thing in a lot of cases. I think a lot of people will say, well, personality shouldn't really impact your job, especially if you're working remotely. But from a team perspective, I think a lot of companies are really worried about upsetting their their current infrastructure and keeping things to uh, keeping things exactly how they are. And to quote the IT crowd when he talks about the the rainforest and uh, disrupting the rainforest and keeping things as they are, that, that's probably how, how how a lot of companies like to think.
I, I I do feel like it's it is uh I agree with the cultural fit side completely. I I think most Alexa companies that at least have I speak to they put more emphasis on culture fit than non-Alexa ones for like a better word there. But I think the keeping job position open is just so counterproductive and that's too counterintuitive to me because it's just like spending so much more money, company time and the resources than you need. I think, yeah, having worked and hired for a, having worked in a startup and having hired for that startup, it was like an area where we were very intentional about how much time we spend because that's like, we're working in a startup, we really want to maximize the output of our time. But as the companies get bigger, I just, I just see, I just see them making like these quote unquote ridiculous decisions that leaving, like you said, uh, or creating a position that they don't need to hire for and still interviewing people and like using your engineers and recruiters time for that it's uh it's it's just i don't know it's, it's, sometimes i just wonder what has what's what's what has the job market become really that's pretty that's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah i can give some perspective right because i was trying to hire a couple of times and it was like you you had a project coming up you have to get the resource and then it doesn't come through. So then you end up kind of like not hiring, right? You don't want to hire somebody, pay them to, you know, sit in the corner and hopefully get work. Because I'm the kind of person, if I want to hire this person, I don't want to let them go even I don't have the work, right? So I've been on that side. I've done two or three or four rounds of this actually quite recently where it's like, okay, this is going to drop soon. And then all of a sudden, you know, something changed and it's like, okay, great. You know, like now, uh, and and then, but also I looked out to where I didn't find somebody where I was like, oh, I must hire this person. Like I, I need to get them. The market over here for, for finding people is, is not as good, at least for the work that I'm looking for. So yeah, that that's one perspective on the employer side about why things happen. I've been on the side where it's like, where I'm trying to find a job, I interviewed at this bank and I was like, well, what would I be doing? And they're like, we don't know. I'm like, that's the first time I've ever been told, I don't know what you're going to do, right? Usually that's like, well, we're th- we need somebody over here. We need somebody over there. And then I talked to another kind of hiring manager and he was like, well, the way banks work is we do basically over provision and then, you know, things change. And so by the time you do start to work, because like Hayden says, for them, it takes forever to get the paperwork done. They got to do background checks and everything else. And so it's like really four months time, six months time even they could say, oh, at that time it was this. Now it's this. So, you know, you're working in this other thing. Right. It's it's really interesting to see both sides and get to understand all the stuff. I also think sometimes the job isn't I think what I was alluding to is the job isn't really open. They're perhaps not interviewing people. The job description, the job advert is just still up. And I think this is sometimes the misunderstanding on the Slack channel, I think, when people people say, Oh, this this job is um this job's been open for all this time and I don't fully agree with it. But it, in this sense, it's sometimes that they're just gathering CVs ready for the next round of hiring. Yeah, it, it does sometimes. Obviously, it's leaving a bad taste in some people's mouths across the community, certainly, because I've seen them kind of talking about it. But I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think they're actually kind of actively interviewing. In some cases, they will be, of course. They might just be waiting for some more funding or they might be waiting for the kind of go-ahead on a project, like Alan said. But it, in some cases, it is just CV gathering trying to get ready for the next round of hiring, possibly just getting these people into their database so that they can contact them and, and reach out to them when the next time comes round. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not always the best practice, but yeah, it does happen. 
I'm kind of curious about if I did want to add some Elixir uh, things to my CV, let's say I have some working experience, right? What I've always been taught before is that you want to basically put things that you've done and like the impact of that. But also you've kind of talked about, okay, I've read these books and I mean, reading a book, that's not really an impact or something like that, right? Like, would I want to say more like, well, I've done these, like I've worked with OTP extensively I built up supervision tree. Like, do I need to talk about this kind of stuff? Or should I say, hey, I, you know, implemented uh, this pattern with OTP and ended up saving, you know, like the company, I don't know, $20 a month. You know, like, how should I show the impact that I've done or, or what I, or should, or sorry, should I be talking about the impact I've done and kind of relate there, the Elixir Erlang things? Or should I just say, I've done these kind of things before and that's enough? I, I don't think it would hurt to include... The benefits i think i think a lot of people are money oriented of course and hiring managers will see oh this person's going to save me money <laughs> that'd be brilliant to have him on board you know this person thinks more about the company costing rather than just the job itself but when, when i talk about kind of adding books and things like that of course this this kind of depends how much you've done if you are someone that's really taken their early steps into elixir then you probably would want to include um, books you've read and that kind of thing. But someone who's been in Elixir maybe for 10 years perhaps wouldn't include, they might want to, but they perhaps wouldn't include the books that they've read in their resume because it perhaps would make it a bit longer than it needed to be. But no, I don't don't think there would be any issue with including that. I I think whilst in some cases less is more, I don't agree with these 10-page CVs and I don't agree with these, these people that are kind of sending you like a booklet to read about about them so just kind of step to the first interview however uh, just adding a few figures or like a blanket statement saying oh by the way I, I did this with Elixir and this kind of revolutionized the way we approached our this and that I don't think it would hurt to do that I think it can only be beneficial from a kind of making your CV look as attractive as possible standpoint okay yeah, I mean, that's it's good to hear, right? Well, something I'm also kind of curious about, right? So we kind of talked about what you should put on your CV, what kind of experience you should or could have, what's the market like? What about, you know, a little bit more into the market area? Like, is there some specific... Um, because obviously, you know, if you can do Elixir, you can do Erlang, that's good. But now you're on the same level playing field as everybody else. What about, I mean, an even greater thing to have is domain knowledge, right? Is there a specific... Uh, industry that is really hiring for us? Because traditionally, obviously, Erlang would be more telecom. But there's also other things that people are using this stuff for. Is there a specific industry that you think is pretty hot right now or a couple of industries? One thing about about Elixir, and I've kind of noticed this since the very early days when it started to emerge within the market, is that I, I can't see a specific trend. Of course, there's certain things that it is really suited for, and you'll, you'll speak to anyone at a payments company that's using Elixir that will say that it's it's very much reliable. It's it's sort of reliance on the beam probably helps it to be much more attractive than, than some other languages. Um, but that's really coming back to the Erlang side, but Elixir making it a bit easier to, to perhaps access, if that makes sense. There's also, I think, uh, a rise in gambling and gaming companies that are using it. But once again, in a lot of cases, that is probably due to Erlang and, and the beam itself, because you, you'd seen that Bet365 kind of started using it. Uh, using Erlang quite some time ago, but you're now seeing that more and more gaming companies are popping up 
and, and starting to use Elixir in production. Um, I think, Eddie, you, you could probably speak to that, can't you? Because I know that the score have been using it for some time. And, of course, you're, you're seeing more and more. Like here, we've got um, Superbet, which is using Erlang quite heavily in production. You've also got, I think, Skybet using Elixir for a number of projects. And, and you'll see more and more if, if you look in more depth. But, but in general, I, I don't see like a specific trend with Elixir. Um, I'm not seeing like with Rust, you're seeing more and more Rust roles um, related to blockchain and crypto. But I'm not really seeing as much of that in Elixir. Uh, it still seems to be that trend of kind of anything. It kind of can can be quite versatile and can fit into any into any role. I think telecom is starting to adopt Elixir. You're seeing more companies that are building, certainly like messaging apps and that kind of thing in Elixir, which is cool. But yeah, no, no, nothing I would say specific. I know it doesn't really answer your question, but hopefully gives some more some more context. Well, I mean, it's good to hear that you know there's no specific industry that's kind of dominating, especially because of Elixir and what they're kind of bringing and how they're making it kind of more easy for the for the masses. I guess you could say. I am seeing a lot of uh, startups and the U.S. starting to really use Elixir. I think it's something I, when I, I do, I advise a few startups and I do recommend Elixir heavily. But even, you know, people I don't even know, I, I see them using Elixir and having already built their entire uh, suite. It's just, you know, how productive Phoenix is. Like, let's say spin up a quick app, you know, quickly and still kind of like a scalable app to much, you know, to quite a bit of scalability. Like, I mean, there's no other tech stack that, gets you there with that less of an effort. So I think people are starting to understand that. Obviously, there's challenges, right? Hiring is one of them. Tooling is the other. But yeah, I think people who have heard of Elixir, people have who have experienced the pains of scaling and some of these other problems with Ruby on Rails, even if they haven't experienced Elixir, when they do uh, you know ex- uh, go for a startup they do give elixir a you know very serious try to so i think that's like that's a good sign unfortunately startups don't hire people without elixir experience <laughs> that's the other they need people to you know they, they cannot they, it's less likely that they'll have time to invest in that training right so they, they do do need people who can like you know who have some experience and some working experience of elixir but luckily at least like for people who have a year or two of, of elixir experience i feel like there's like the, the pool, the, the opportunities are increasing, especially because of a lot of new startups choosing Elixir. And Hayden, have you experienced something like that, like in startups, or is it just uh, in my bubble? <laughs> no, I think and this comes back to one of our first points that we, we were discussing. The, the thing about Elixir and certainly these perhaps a bit more niche languages is that people are a bit more passionate. And these are quite often people that have perhaps worked with Elixir a little bit or or in extensively in production. But quite often the people that are founding companies and startups are technical people and they've got an idea that they've started with and they want to do it their way. Quite often if they are going to build up from scratch, they're going to want to use something that they're passionate about. And if you've if you've kind of had that experience and you know the power of it, then it's only your decision and you can just start from the ground up. But if you're working in a bigger company and you say, wow, that Elixir is great, you've got to convince a whole load of people to, it's not not so bad in, in the case of microservices and you'll see it popping up on small projects. But if it's something which you want to implement on a larger scale, you've got to convince so many people to migrate this, this whole code base to Elixir. So I think it, it's just a case of passionate people doing things their way. And you're seeing these startups perhaps some of them built in the last couple of years, but some of them may even be a few more a few more years old and perhaps just found out about Elixir in, say, 2019, 2020, and just loved it. So it went from there. 
And of course, that will only increase as you as the language becomes more mainstream. So yeah, I think it's just pe- most people that have used it have positive things to say about it. So if they were, if they had an idea, they had their own startup, they want to go with it, that they've probably just persevered with it. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. I, I've seen that too. Like I was looking at a couple of uh, startups today and you just kind of followed some of the people who are, who are using Elixir and then you look at, you know, the lead engineer and you look at his background, it's like, wait a minute, I know these companies that he's working at, they're all Elixir shops. Don't wonder why. When he went to another company, he was the founding engineer and this is what he chose. So it's, it's really interesting to kind of see that. Now it's becoming like a family, right? We're all, we're all part of the Beam ecosystem. So you're almost kind of all like family. It's like you can see the same people around in the same area all the time. Yeah, it's still a relatively small community. It's, I think that's why we've been able to kind of be quite successful in terms of building this business and continuing because I'm still seeing friends and ex-colleagues who are starting up in the tech market. And, and like I said, it's not the kind of most vibrant tech market right now. We've seen some of them that are kind of saying that they're struggling, but we've kind of consistently got clients and candidates reaching out to us really because it is a small community and a lot of our work comes from recommendations. So someone will say, oh, well, we needed someone and Beam, Beam it found them in like a couple of weeks. So then they'll mention that at a meetup or something. And because we are, like I said, there's only a couple of companies or a few companies that are actually doing exclusively Elixir or Beam recruitment, that when someone mentions it, you say, well, actually, I recognize that name. I've seen that person's been on the Elixir Slack channel or I've seen that person post in the Discord. Whereas you, you, your voice might get kind of lost in the noise on a on a bigger market, if that makes sense. But but yeah, no, it's, it's been been a lot easier for us where the community is still quite tight knit in that sense. Okay, I, I think I have a, a pretty good idea of of kind of how how it's going for recruitment in uh, Elixir Audi. Do you have any questions? No, no, I think this is very insightful. Thanks, Hayden. Yeah, Hayden, is there anything that we that you think we should you should mention that we didn't we didn't get to? One of the, one of the interesting things that people do mention to us when I was talking earlier about frequently asked questions I thought it's quite an interesting discussion to kind of bring to the table about do's and don'ts for interviewing well, I mentioned that this is something like I said that I've been on both sides of and of course interviewed myself in the past I've interviewed people in the past but I think a lot of people do ask us how can we prep for an interview how can we go ahead from there and Whilst a lot of this is probably agnostic to any job or any language, I think the Elixir community is something that they're quite interested in. We get asked a lot. So I wasn't sure if, if you yourselves had any recommendations from your own experience or anecdotes from kind of do's or don'ts for interview processes or, or anything that perhaps hindered you that you wish you'd known in advance. Networking. <laughs> Build a network. I think it's uh, the easiest way to get an interview. I mean, after that, it's, you know, obviously uh, on you, but I think someone who gets referred or has, you know, a more of a public kind of a image, <laughs> I think it's, it's, I've seen it, they're a lot likely to get uh, interviews. I, I know so many amazing Elixir engineers who sometimes have a hard time getting an interview because they don't, you know, uh, socialize as much. They don't, you know, know as many people. So yeah, if any of the listeners are anticipating, you know, having to look for a job in, you know, next few months, like start building, start building a network. And it's very easy. It looks like people in the community are very welcoming. And yeah, I mean, uh, you can simply reach out to engineers in specific company. Hey, how is, uh, you know, work life at that company? And I think some of them might be even open to getting on a Zoom call with you and like discussing with you. I think people are very welcoming and very encouraging. So uh, yeah, start building a network. That's, uh, that'd be my one key advice. Or contact Beamit and let use their network. <laughs> yeah, nice. I don't have to plug it if you can. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, uh, that, that's that's a really good 
uh, some some good points. But I think also is sometimes I've become lazy and I didn't actually bother checking company background, which definitely is super helpful, right? There was one where it's like, oh, you didn't you didn't check it, and then they're like, then it just basically dismissed me right away. Usually, most companies are kind of forgiving, but yeah, some really do care, right? They're just like, all right, let's let's just shut this down. It's it's just not worth more time, you know, like it. And it's definitely a humbling moment because it's like, well, I do these all the time, so I don't really need to check. Well, you, you still need to do the, the the work, right? That's one. The other one, man, I had another one in my head, what I think was was good to do. Oh, yeah, oh, sorry. We talked about earlier, which is like kind of really try to tailor your CVs a bit. Don't just have a generic software one like I have right now and like tailor it to where it's very Elixir specific, you know, if that's really what you want. At least have that one as a as a side. If you're going to also apply for other ones too, or other uh, industries or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I'd agree. I'd agree with all of that. I think um, something which is the probably the biggest thing is 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 what you mentioned is research only needs to be ten fifteen minutes. I mean, if you want to do more, then you can, but you can find out a lot in that time. A lot of companies are quite proud of their kind of tech culture and i think we'll generally list what they do and the way they approach things on their website you can probably find more information in blogs and on linkedin profiles and that kind of thing i think a lot of people i think back in the day when in-person interviews were still a thing i can't remember the last time i even set up an in-person interview for a candidate people used to just look on the train they'd be on the train on the way there or while waiting they would look things up but but now you you've literally you're just sitting at your desk so you might as well do it half hour before the call even if you have to to keep it fresh in your memory I wouldn't even say it's too far to research who you're going to speak to as well and find out their background. You may have some common ground. You may have worked with people who have worked with them before in the past. You might have um, have some rapport before you even start. I don't think that would that would be too much to say. I think one of the common things as well is people do want to ask questions, but they don't think of questions in advance. I think it's important to find out what you really want to know about this job and this company and have some questions listed in advance. But always make sure they're relevant too. Um, as I mentioned from the past, I have done interviewing from a HR perspective, like not like an internal recruiter perspective. And quite often people would come with really technical questions, which is great, but you're never really going to get, like use the, use the opportunity for the, on the HR call or the screening call or the internal recruiter call, use that opportunity to ask about, I don't know, soft skills and things that they can answer and things they can help you with, um, like company, if you want to talk about company benefits, perhaps not. But if you, if you want to, then, then that's the opportunity. But make sure that you save the technical questions for, for the engineers if possible. And don't ask engineers stuff about like company benefits and how many days holiday you're going to get and things like that. I mean, I, I would try and make sure that you use that opportunity to ask them really technical questions and things that they can really relate to as well and things they can speak about from their experience that, that i think would be would be quite a quite a good thing to have not not saying to say right you wrote down three questions you have to answer all three because quite often they would have been answered on the call anyway but if you write down three questions in advance things that be very important to you whether it be related to the company culture or benefits of working for the company long term where you see your career going or the tech stack or, or anything but but certainly I would have them written down before the call because quite often I think people will forget on the call or try to think of something on the call and then afterwards they'll think oh god maybe I should have come up with that whilst I was on the call and then try to kind of follow it up and by then sometimes it's, it's too late but yeah that, that was just something that I think is quite important because a lot of people do ask us 
and quite often we have interviews that fall down because of bad research or bad communication and the client will come to us and say well we love this cv but the interview just wasn't good and you say oh why was that well they didn't they hadn't researched the company or they, they didn't really seem that interested and perhaps it could be because they, they just hadn't looked it up in, in in more detail and we try to always advise people to, to of course do that but in some cases it, it does get away from them it's, it's good tips and uh, good good perspectives too. Yeah, I can imagine. There's been many times where it's like you thought it was going to go well and then you just bomb it. It could even be from the other side, from the employer's side too, where they had a bad day and then there's not so receptive. <laughs> I mean, I've had weird situations like that. I had this one situation where the guy, the guy was an academic. He studied like compilers and he knew all these different data types that I've never heard of. Like I they're real data types because I looked them up on Wikipedia, but you never see them when you're programming stuff like in any typical language. And uh, he's like, you don't know this one. You don't know that one. Don't you know anything? And I was like, dude, you're hiring for an app developer, not for a compiler. I had this talk with him. In fact, I screamed at him too. I was like, you're hiring for an app developer. You're not hiring for this. Do you know what a WebSocket is? Do you know what HTTP is? Do you know what this stuff is? And the funny part is like, for some reason, I heard this and this is my, like I heard about this happening in real life. But what actually, in terms of like way academics like, they like to like shout each other for some reason. I don't know if, this, if you guys have the same experience or not, but I shouted at him and I told him, you don't know all these things. Then you know nothing about making apps and that's why you have to hire me. And the guy sat down and he had a very big smile on his face. So sometimes you think the situation is going to be bad, but actually it turned out pretty, pretty good. <laughs> so they're actually quite happy with me uh, after I yelled back and told him he knows nothing about you know the domain that he's hiring for that I'm an expert in. So you, you'd be surprised about how situations can turn bad, good, bad, good, and then good at the end. Hayden, I'm sure you have a story about that too, but I don't know if we want to get into it now. <laughs> I can't really, can't really think of anything as specific as that. I must say, I've never shouted at anyone on this interview before. But if it worked out okay, then uh, then then nice. But you know, probably I mean, what you should not do is in an interview is what I did in that interview. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. People are uh, people are different. We're weird and wonderful creatures, and uh, you never know how things are going to turn out. But in that case, obviously, the the end result was good, so uh, we we can't knock it. But but yeah, no, I've never had anything like that in my experience. But yeah, no, it's 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 just really about about doing your research, and even if you're just having a a call with HR and you're just going to learn about the job initially it, it it doesn't hurt to even look them up and see what their background is because I, I just think it's helpful I think one one thing that we, we used to do really in-depth debriefs after each call and kind of preps I think it's a bit much to have like a half hour debrief and a prep for every single interview like each candidate we used to be measured on call time so I didn't mind doing it back then but, <laughs> but I do I do think a lot of candidates thought it was overkill this person calling me like an hour before my interview to go through like half hour prep but one of the, one of the most important questions I think and don't be afraid to ask this because it really does really can help your process at the end of the call like when you've asked your initial questions and your final question just ask if there's any concerns that would stop you from moving forward with the process. In some cases, there might be a major concern and they've already decided they're not going to hire you and they won't tell you and they'll reject you later. But in some cases, there might be something niggling in the back of their mind that perhaps hasn't been communicated clearly. So if I said, Alan, great to speak with you. I was just wondering if you have any concerns that would stop you moving forward with my application. And you might say, well, you mentioned that you work with JavaScript, but you didn't really go into much detail. Could be that I just haven't had a chance to and that could be the difference between pushing me as a yes rather than a no. And quite often people are a little bit taken back by it when you ask, but it, it's really good because if there is something which has been miscommunicated or there's something that's been missed or there's something you haven't, haven't had a chance to get to, then that's your opportunity to get it because 
And nine times out of 10, after the interview is too late. So if a client comes back to me and says, oh, I'm a bit worried about this. And I say, well, we'll just give them another chance. Quite often, it won't happen. But if you're mm-hmm. still in the interview before they even got down to writing their, their brief afterwards and their notes, if you can address it then, then, then I would say that's a, a good question to ask and a, a good way to move forward. Yeah, writing a good CV is also tricky too. I, I was on a recent, I kind of joined this interview and uh, his CV wasn't exciting, but you know we didn't have many candidates to look through. We're talking to him and then he gave us a lot of interesting stuff when we talked to the guy. And the guy who, was, who I was sitting next to, he, uh, he said, wait a minute, I want to stop you right now. You need to go home after this interview, go home and fix your CV because your CV sucks compared to what we're talking about right now. You got to go fix that. Like... So having a good CV is so important. It's just always figure. It's always tricky to figure out what things to put on there because as a developer who's been working for over ten years, you've done so many interesting things that you don't know what is interesting to put on there, right? I think it's one of the trickier parts for me, at least. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. We um, it's one of our most popular articles. We share the website, of course, but on our on our Beamwreck website. We tend to write articles just offering advice on things that people have asked us. And one of our most popular is how to create a good CV. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. We have like an employment advisors who will give you CV debriefs around my way. I don't know if they have them in in all local areas, but I see see them on there. And for the amount they charge, I don't think it would hurt to kind of go through someone, have them kind of go through your CV. Of course, if if you're looking for a job and you want to contact us, we'll, we're happy to do it for you. But if you want to do it independently, you would have someone to, to look over it for you who's a professional in doing that. I, I don't think you could put much of a price on that. It would be something that's quite cheap that could be the difference between you getting your dream job and not. Awesome. Well, it's it's great to have you on. I think I'm going to go ahead and transition us over to picks because we've we've been going on for a while and uh, <laughs> we've exhausted this topic. I don't know. What, what do we, where do we go first? Like, for for you, if we go guest or Adi first, we're going to go Adi first. All right. Sure. Yeah. I think that's what we usually do. I I, I think we're far from exhausting this topic. And this, I think we can <laughs> we can go deeper. But yeah, picks. I guess my I have quite a few picks today. So first one, I think I picked it earlier. Avatar, the game I just finished it recently. It's it's actually I think it's like better than people thought it would be. So yeah, give it a try. It's it's pretty good. It surprised me. It it, it had some substance. <laughs> I was not expecting it to be that good. So yeah, I think it's got Avatar, Frontiers, and Pandora. Next, I have a uh, it's it's pretty apt. I have a few jobs that some of my friends reached out to give a shout out about. One of them is uh, from Sasha Wolf. Uh, I think I already mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I think it's still open. It's uh, a company called Seven Mind. Sasha Wolf, who used to be part of this podcast, uh, but is taking a bit of a break, is hiring backend engineer. I think it's like mostly in a Germany area. Yeah, uh, I I don't know much about the company, but if if Sasha works there, it's going to be an awesome place to work. And if you get to work with Sasha, it'd be, you know, great learning experience too. So I'll put the link in the show notes as well for this. Next, another job from a company named D-Scout. One of the engineers there reached out saying that they're hiring. So I decided to give them a shout out. Uh, D-Scout is a great place to work. They were I don't know if the score would like me saying this. It was a very close call for me between the score and the scout. I was a, just a little bit more excited about the score, but I, I, I was like almost going to say yes to D scouts offer to, it, it was a tough choice. So it's a great place. Uh, I, I, I asked them a lot of questions about their culture and seemed like, you know, a great place to work, learn as an engineer. 
everyone is really you know supportive you can question anything they can question processes it's it, it, it sounds like sound like a great place to work so i'll have uh the link to the, that job as well in the show notes Another one is uh, a company named Enquire Labs. They're a small startup. They do um, analytics for other startups. <laughs> I think DTC mostly, but they are completely in Elixir and Phoenix. I think they use Pedal Stack. Yeah, they are hiring, I think, both a c- senior engineer and a mid-level engineer. This is a company that my wife had a great experience with interviewing. For her also, it was a close call between this and her current company. Funny. But yeah, this is, again, uh, highly recommended by my wife. Yeah, the all all three of these jobs, the links will be in the show notes. And while we were talking about uh, resumes and stuff, I wanted to plug this GitHub repo. There's this few GitHub repos called Awesome Resumes, uh, but I'll link this specific one. It, it gives like common mistakes. It's like a complete write-up, common mistakes that engineers make in the resumes. For every section of the resume, it has... Uh, that the repo gives like, you know, suggestions, tips, and things to avoid. So uh, sometimes, you know, you can forget, like Hayden, you were saying, people build resumes very rarely. So it's good to have like uh, something to point to as you're building your resume. Let's also do a bit of a self-promotion. I, my wife and I took part in SpawnFest last, when was that? November, I think. We actually just learned yesterday that we won and we built this tool called Heimdall, which is like SnapPass, but it just, it's like built in Elixir, Phoenix, Pedal Stack completely. It allows you to share passwords and sensitive information with others in a secure way. It's completely open source, but it's actually really cool. You can like uh, whitelist IP addresses that can see the passwords and secure information. It's actually, if I say so myself, it's pretty cool. So I'll link, link it over in the show notes as well. I guess like one more tip, it just came to my mind about just like job search. Uh, it's something I tell my mentees quite often is if you don't get a job after interviewing, I mean, it could be you, but it's most likely not you, right? There's so many variables, so many factors that go into it. Like we, we spoke about like companies might might not be you know, looking anymore. The position might be already filled. And, and other than the interview, you might not be at your best during the interview for whatever reason. There's so many factors, like don't let that demo Moralize you. It's easy to say I know that, but yeah, to just just keep keep trying. It's more likely that the other factors than you, you yourself. Uh, I've seen great engineers not get jobs after uh, doing interviews. So yeah, that's it. Sorry, I had a lot of picks today. It's all good. Is Hayden last or he goes next? I forget. I think you go last. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Hayden, you have a pick for us? Yeah, I, I wanted to just follow on from what Addy said quickly with a couple of things, but. One, um, Spawnfest, really popular. Sounds sounds brilliant fun if if you know what you're doing. Not for me because I would lose. But um, Abby, one of my colleagues, Abby, wrote, did an interview with Paolo Oliveira, one of the organizers, which is available on our website. If you want to learn more about it, he talks lots of detail about the origins and the benefits and how you can get involved. We've also done interviews on our site with Adi amongst other people and, and, and lots of people within the community, uh, lots who have been on this podcast as well and talking about uh, their approach, how they got into Elixir and also some just good re- real insight into um, perhaps how you can kind of help your own career with, with various things as well um, from the experts. We, we kind of like to differentiate ourselves from a lot of other agencies by really trying to get involved with the community. Of course, being such a niche language, it's really good to be at the kind of forefront of people's minds when they do start looking either for an engineer or for a new job. So we, we do kind of make a quite a big effort to do that. One way that we're, we're really trying to kind of promote and, and help the community wherever possible is by promoting meetups. 
We've got quite a big mailing list. We get quite a lot of visitors daily for our website who are all Beam related. So if you want to plug your meetup to try and get more members and try and get more people down or you want to plug your conference or anything, we do have a link which um, I'll share with Alan and Addy so they, they can add to the, uh, to the notes as well where you can just share the details. We, we've got a couple that we want to add already but they'll be available on our website and we'll, we'll put it in our newsletter as well. And then hopefully you can you can reach the right people because there might be some people that didn't even know that there was a, a meetup that would interest them or is, or is in their local area so so yeah i think i think that'd be quite helpful i'll, I'll add that into into notes as well of course if if anyone is um looking to hire for engineers and you, you need people with a lecture experience just give us a shout but, but yeah i'll always be happy to, to sit down on the call tell you more about how we work and how we can add some value to your process if you've got anything you want to talk about once you've considered this podcast to join on of course but if there's something you want to talk about for a specific project or something you want to get the word out about if it's a piece of tech that's really interesting for you we'd love to sit down with you and and, and set up a, a short interview to go out in our newsletter we're always happy to jump on a call if you want to do everything async via google docs that's absolutely fine as well so just let us know awesome i just have two things to say so in relation to to the meetup stuff it's interesting you say that because running a meetup specifically for asia so kind of you know us and europe are basically the biggest markets i would say for Elixir Erlang, but there's actually quite a few companies located in uh, in Asia, especially China, that are actually using Elixir and uh, Erlang. It's mostly Erlang, uh, I would say, with like uh, WeChat is definitely a big user. I heard that the Singapore uh, processing, or sorry, that the Asia processing of credit cards, I think from MasterCard, I believe, is in Singapore, and they're actually using Erlang to do that. It's quite Hayden's shaking his head. I think it's probably because you know this. I, I'm guessing, or you're just agreeing. We used to work very closely with uh, Vocalink, or I did back at Darwin. Um, yeah. We were acquired by um, MasterCard, and I think that that has also seems to have spread across their across their company. But I'm I'm not sure completely about locations, but I know that a large part of MasterCard is now um, of Erlang and, and, and Elixir focused. Yeah, so it, it's it's quite interesting. So, and there's also a company called Crypto.com, which you may have heard of, who's uh, who's doing some stuff, and a couple other companies that are using Elixir and Erlang. So, so anyways, but but we're basically Asia is always kind of an afterthought. So I've been in kind of networking when I was in Berlin, and I got a couple of people to to come. Well, to, not to well to come online, right? So if you're located in Asia, this is for you. Even if you're not, it's okay. You can definitely go ahead and join. So this is probably going to come out too late. So on January sixteenth. At uh, 7.30 p.m. Hong Kong time. I'm not sure what that is in other countries. We'll, we're going to have Robert Verding on to, to talk about, I forgot what, what it's about exactly, uh, because I think that may, it may change. But anyways, we're going to have Robert Verding on, which is still a great guy to, to, to talk to, to listen. And to, you know, it's definitely history if you definitely uh, love the, the virtual machine, the Beam. Next month, we're going to have a Q&A with Jose Belim. He's already agreed to do it next month. So it's really two heavy hitters. I don't think I can follow up after that with these two. And I believe the third one, I'm not going to say his name yet, just because I want to confirm, but it will be another person that everybody will know. So again, I'm probably doing the worst thing, which is starting off as a high, because you can only go, it's kind of the opposite, right? Once you hit bottom, you can't go any further. This is like once you hit the top, you can't go any any much higher than that. But in any case, right, definitely come if you can. Uh, it's definitely a hybrid. So if you're in Hong Kong, feel free to drop by. If you're not, uh, definitely it's going to be hybrid so you can join uh, remotely. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I do run my own consulting company. We specialize in Elixir, Erlang, Rust, and Flutter. So if you're using any of these kind of technologies and you need some help, just let us know. We've worked with... Uh, Large companies such as uh, Signify, if you know who that is, they do basically Philips Hue. We've worked with uh, small companies with a company of one. 
where the, the main investor is his wife. <laughs> so we've done all sorts of different kinds of companies and different projects where we've either augmented staff, done training, or even done the whole uh, project uh, itself. So just reach out to, to me. You can uh, just go to our website, www.plangora.com, E-L-A-N-G-O-R-A.com. That's kind of just my two picks. And yeah, again, Hayden, thanks for having you on. And Adi, it's always good to see you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been great to chat.